Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 50. It is found on page 738 of your Red Bibles. We will start with verse 4 and read through to verse 9. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me, who will condemn me. They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. This is the word of the Lord.
Our New Testament lesson for this morning comes from the letter of James. We will read a few verses there in chapter 1. This is on page 1213 if you're using your red Bible. It would be great if you had a Bible in front of you during our message this morning. James 1, beginning with verse 19. Um, Our main passage then will come from chapter 3. So we'll flip over there after we've read a bit from chapter 1. This is part 6 now of our time with St. James where he's asking us to be the kind of pilgrims that will set apart our whole spirits and souls and bodies for the Lord Jesus on our way home. If this has been tough for you, I know how you feel and take heart. We just have three more of these coaching sessions with St. James. So James chapter 1 verse 19. Let's hear God's word together. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And then verse 26, same chapter. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And then flip over to chapter 3, where we'll read verses 1 through 12, our main text for today. Chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. 
Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder if you were going to take a pilgrimage. Maybe it was going to be a couple months trip across Spain. I wonder if you would pick somebody to go with you. Who would you pick? What kind of person would you want to spend a whole month of traveling with? I wonder if you would pick a perfectionist to go with you. perfectionist kind of has a negative ring to our ears, doesn't it? I'm not sure I'd want a perfectionist with me every day, night and day, for a long journey. But when we read the letter of James, it can seem, can't it, like James is a little bit of a perfectionist. Maybe you've thought that as we've read and studied together. Get off my back, James. I can't be perfect. Let's look again at all these times when he calls us to perfection or speaks of perfection. A quick little two-minute Bible study. Uh, Grab your Bibles, chapter 1, verse 4. It's kind of hidden in the NIV here. But it says, chapter 1, 4, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But hidden there in the English is this word, perfect. James' Greek literally says, let perseverance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete. Look on down to verse 17, speaking now about the Lord. Every good and what kind of gift? Perfect gift comes from above. Down to verse 25, same chapter. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law does what they're supposed to do. What else? Well, by the time we get to chapter 3, verse 2, which we just read, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Now, by this time, we might say, "Um, I'm not sure that I want this traveling companion with me on my pilgrimage. He's a perfectionist. Well, James's word here is teleos, teleos. And it means that something has reached its goal. It's mature. It's complete. An example. Uh, last month, uh, Matt Kegi and Stefan Horberger they made bookshelves for my study. You can go and see them anytime you want. I'd be glad to show them to you. And the first time that I walked in there and I saw them, guess what I said? They're perfect! And of course, what I meant when I said that was not that they were sinless. I didn't even mean that they were mathematically exact. In fact, uh, Stefan, the actual carpenter, explained to me that 
since it's real wood, it moves and bends, right? It changes because, after all, it's organic material. And what I meant when I said that they're perfect is that they fit just right. That the stain that they used was an excellent choice, just the right color. That they hold my books, after all. They're exactly what I had envisioned, only they're better. So I said, they're perfect. And St. James says that our tongues were designed for a purpose. If you found a person, he says, chapter 3, verse 2, whose tongue was fulfilling its purpose, James says, you would find there a whole person, a person who was fulfilling their life's purpose. Show me a woman, he says, or a man who says the right thing at the right time, in the right way, to the right person, And you would have there a woman or a man who was mature, complete, just like she or he was meant to be. Our tongues were made, James says here in verse 9. They were made to praise, to bless our Lord and Father, and to bless people who were made, as I was saying with the children, in God's likeness and image. And so heaven's hope for our tongues is that what we say and how we say it would actually show creation that we are like God. Mature, complete, perfect. That is, that we are able to do what we were meant to do. And what were we meant to do? We were meant to speak like and even speak for God who made us. We were made by God's word to speak God's word. Think about creation and how it happens. God speaks, right? Let there be light. Let there be water and plants and animals. Let us make humans in our own image and likeness. Humans show up. And then Adam's first job in the garden was to look at the animals And like God, to speak. Let that one be called giraffe, because it's got a funny neck. This one's lazy, so let's call that a sloth. And as long as Adam and Eve imitated God by speaking blessing, their tongues were perfect, their lives were perfect. And so if James is a perfectionist, It's only that he wants heaven's hope for your tongue to become an actual reality in your life. Heaven's hope for your tongue is perfection. And if that's heaven's hope, uh, then what has gone wrong? Well, James says here very plainly and bluntly what has gone wrong. James is telling us that hell has hacked your tongue. Heaven's hope for your tongue is perfection, but hell has hacked your tongue. Like a computer hacker who steals your identity, hell has hacked your tongue. But when hell hacks your tongue, James says, it doesn't steal your identity so that it can steal your money. 
But hell hacks your tongue and steals your identity so that it can turn your tongue from an instrument of blessing to an instrument of cursing, into a cursing machine. Look at chapter 3, verse 6 with me. James says the tongue is a fire. It sets whole lives on fire. And how did it catch fire in the first place? It was set on fire by hell. And the word hell here, there's a couple of words for hell in the New Testament. The word hell here is Gehenna. And it refers to the name of Jerusalem's city garbage dump. And this garbage dump outside of Jerusalem was often just burning. It was the place also where in ancient Israel, some of Judah's wicked kings had sacrificed their own children to false gods. And so there was a sense that this place was a cursed place. And it was the place I learned this week that had Joseph of Arimathea not come to Pilate and said, may we please have the body of our Lord Jesus after his crucifixion, it's likely that the body of the Lord Jesus would have been thrown out into that same dump. So Gehenna, so hell, is an image of a place of ugliness and fire and cursing and death. And James says that if evil wants to spread, then its number one strategy, and this is so haunting, evil's number one strategy to spread its nastiness is to set mine and your tongues on fire and then to watch us go out into all the world. So if Gehenna can light our tiny tongues on fire with cursing and anger, quickness to speak, with boasting, then whenever, wherever we go with these fiery tongues of ours, if we go into Jerusalem, the city of peace, then our tongues will burn that peace to the ground. If we go to Spain or Switzerland, South America or South Africa, South Korea or South Carolina, we will bring our tongues with us, our world of evil, and we'll set everything on fire with the fires of hell. And then what happens, of course, is that instead of going into all the world and speaking the good news to every creature, as Jesus has taught us, hell has hacked our tongues so that we go into all the world and we speak evil and poison every part of God's creation. When I lived in South Korea, uh, I got the chance twice to go to Thailand. And one of those times was when King Rama IX was still living and the second time we came back, it was recently after he had died. And everywhere you go in Thailand, everywhere we went, from Bangkok and Chiang Mai into the countryside, what do you see everywhere? You see images of the Thai king. Now, if you saw a Thai soldier standing next to one of those images of Rama the Ninth. And he shouted, long live the king. And then he turned around and he drew a little mustache on King Rama. 
or if he burnt the image to the ground right there on the roadside. What would you think about that soldier? Is he loyal to the king? No, he's probably a rebel. And this is exactly what James is teaching us. He's saying, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3, you can't bless the Lord your God with your tongue and then turn around and curse God's image. Because when you do that, you are in fact cursing God. And when that comes home to our hearts, think of how our lives would change, for example, if every time we were about to burn someone down with our fiery tongues, we stopped and we asked ourselves, am I really, in cursing his image, am I really going to tell the father of heavenly lights, the good giver of every perfect gift that he can just burn as well? Nothing would sound better to the ears of hell than that. And so hell has hacked our tongues, James says. And as we run our mouths in anger, thinking, oh, with my anger, I'm producing the righteousness of God. Well, hell laughs at us. So if hell's cursing has set our tongues and our whole lives and our whole worlds on fire, and if we're the ones that are spreading hellfire everywhere we go with our words of cursing, what are we going to do about it? What on earth can we do about this? There's a couple of strategies that I've tried for a while, my strategy was, it was kind of like what James says in chapter 1, I'm going to be slow to speak. In fact, I'm just not going to say anything at all, right? Mom and dad have told you this, especially mom probably. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And I've tried that as a kid. I've tried that as an adult. But here's the thing. James says, chapter 3, verse 6, look, the fire has already spread from the tongue. It's ignited the whole body. And what this means is that my body language, as I sit there and I don't say a word, my body, my whole body language speaks the same nastiness as my tongue would have if I would have opened it. My body language speaks and burns and curses as well. Another strategy would be, okay, I'm going to say nice things instead of nasty things. But the whole scriptures teach us that our tongues can be full of flattery, right? You're just saying nice things to get what you want. We can deceive other people even by saying nice things. We could honor God and we could even honor other people with our lips while our hearts are actually far from them. So what on earth are we going to do about this? Our best strategies are going to fail us. And as with everything else that we're called to be and do in the scriptures, ultimately there isn't anything on earth that we can do about it. Not until we first cry 
heaven help us. And the good news here, even in James, is that heaven does help us. Heaven's hope for your tongue is perfection. Hell's hack of your tongue has spread its hellfire everywhere, but heaven's help for your tongue is that it can be saved and indeed set apart for God's purposes. James says that even where hell has spread its fire across the landscapes of your life and your world, your family, your workplace, our church, that thank God heaven can and has helped us. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. James says, look, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to repent of all the hellfire that we've spread with our unrighteous anger and our quick words. And when we humble ourselves, when we shut our mouths for a change, and we open our ears for a change, that our God is gracious. And James says what he does is he plants his word in us. A word that seems as small as a seed, but actually has the power, James says, to change and save our whole lives. Instead of our whole lives being scorched by the spread of hellfire, by our tongues, now God speaks into that situation. And like I was telling the children, the way that God speaks first and foremost is by his son. In fact, we can say that God speaks his son, his word. And what do our ears, which are finally open in repentance, hear when God speaks his son into our lives? Well, like I was telling the kids, uh, my understanding is that James was, in fact, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. And if that's right, then that means that at one time, James, as we can read about in the Gospels, had no interest in following his older brother. He didn't have much good to say about older brother Jesus. Jesus embarrassed him. He hoped Jesus would just shut up and quit with all of this kingdom of heaven has come in me stuff. And just be, come on. Just be a normal big brother. But by the time he writes now, James has finally realized it. Realized what? Realized that God the Father has perfectly given Jesus the seed from heaven. That he gave his word to be planted in the midst of this burnt over hellish wasteland. That his big brother had in fact grown up not to condemn the world, you see, James was looking at Jesus and saying, what a perfectionist. Who could live up to his standards? But he realized when big brother Jesus had finally grown up and done his thing, that he had come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And that he, James, had been foolishly and proudly plugging his ears and opening his mouth and resisting God's word of grace. James, you might say, had realized that his own tongue had been hacked by hell. 
and that he needed desperately to be healed by heaven. And then James finally quietly humbled himself and older brother Jesus, full of grace and truth, spoke himself into James's life. And James was saved. His body and his soul and his tongue. And now, brother James is speaking this same word of God, this very word, Jesus, that he had had so much contempt for and spoken against before. And as that implanted word, Jesus, grew larger and larger in James's heart and began to control more and more of James's tongue, well, then James started sounding a lot more like the Lord Jesus himself. Some scholars say that actually his letter sounds like something that the Lord Jesus would have written if Jesus had published anything. And isn't it amazing, by the way, if this is true and James is the half-brother of Jesus, wouldn't you expect, it, expect him, chapter 1, verse 1, to say, hey, it's James, you know, the brother of Jesus, you should listen to me. <laughs> but instead, what does he say here? He says, this is James. I'm a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can he avoid name-dropping in this situation? I would have name-dropped. How can he be so sure, by the way, that we, who are people of unclean lips, who are dwelling among a people of unclean lips, how can he be so sure that we will end up producing the righteousness that God desires with these tongues of ours? How can he possibly believe that after all our poisoned-tongued cursing, that we could become the kind of people who are actually slow to speak and quick to listen? Not because it's some strategy for getting along in the world, but just because that's the outflow of our hearts. Open ears, open hearts, slow mouths, quick to bless, and slow to criticize. How could he believe that we could be people who could become complete and mature, who no longer burn their relationships to the ground, but actually bless? People with peaceful, controlled tongues that are set apart and reserved exclusively for blessing God and blessing one another. How can he be so sure that we could have this hope? Well, it's because by grace, James himself has received heaven's help for his tongue. He's had the word Jesus implanted in him. And by grace, James himself has been saved. And James has begun to grow toward completion, maturity, perfection. Friends, James is writing, as he says at the beginning of his letter, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. In other words, to God's people everywhere they go. And that means that he's writing to us all these years later. And he is here to tell us if we will quiet our mouths and open our ears, then the word of God, Jesus Christ himself, 
will speak himself into our hearts and our lives. And then God's word will end up on our tongues. And we, God's people, made in his image, will become a life-giving, people-blessing, heaven-helped, word-proclaiming, truth-telling, grace-saying kind of people. In other words, we'll we'll become the kind of people that our world so desperately needs. So this is our prayer today. Because Jesus has come, and like we read in Isaiah, has been the one to speak God's word truly without any care who would mock him or pull out his beard or or even kill him. He's spoken words of grace into our hearts. And with that grace now growing up into our hearts, let's be, shall we, by God's grace, let's be a community, a church, who bring on our lips and in our very lives the word that the nations here in Zurich so badly need to hear. The word of the Father, that giver of, of perfect gifts. The Lord Jesus himself, full of grace and truth. Can we make it our prayer together that this is who we would become in Christ Jesus? Let's pray. Gracious God, we have, oh, we have so far to go. We've sensed sometimes progress in all of this. We also know a little bit of our hearts and that they're not perfectly and completely yours. So speak your word once again into our hearts. Your word might resound there and then reverberate into our lives through our tongues. Make our tongues set apart for blessing even as you set apart our Lord Jesus for blessing. Help us to do that in our church community, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, so that when people hear our speech, they would hear the ring of grace and truth, and they would be anxious to know where we get such great hope for our lives, that we can speak the way that we do. And then give us grace to say the name of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. We thank you for your patience with us. And we dedicate ourselves afresh to you. Give us, we pray, a thousand tongues to sing the praises of our Savior and to bless others made in his image. And we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.